Federal auditors are still uncovering the full scope of fraud and $5 trillion of COVID-19-related spending. Agency inspectors general already flagged tens of billions of dollars in suspected fraud. Part of the problem, agencies weren't keeping improper payments in check before the pandemic hit. Well, now they're asking for better tools to do so. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman covered the hearing, and he joins me with an update. Jory, just how much fraud so far as the meter's running even as we speak? Right. Yeah, this is a moving target and something that we won't fully uncover for some time still. But we did get a check in from the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee Chairman Michael Horwitz, who is also the Inspector General for the Justice Department. Here's what he told the committee last week. It's clearly in the tens of billions of dollars. It wouldn't surprise me if it exceeds ultimately more than 100 billion dollars. But we have so much work to do. Yes, that's true. And that's just one piece of the puzzle. We also heard from the U.S. Comptroller General, Gene Dodaro. He told lawmakers that of the economic impact payments that went out to individuals, those checks that went out in the mail directly uh, supporting people who needed that funding, about $1.4 billion of that spending went to deceased individuals. And Gene Dodaro should know because his own mother had gotten one of these and she had passed uh, by the time she received that check. And that's something that uh, both he and his sister rectified. They sent the check back. And so uh, this is something that he's well aware of as an issue. I'm surprised he didn't frame it, you know, just to put it up in his office and see here's what can happen. So how many investigations are going on right now? Just to give you a sense of the scope of this here, more than a thousand individuals to date have pled guilty in one way or another on pandemic fraud related charges. Another 600 charges are pending in courts across the country. And the Small Business Administration's Inspector General has more than 500 active investigations ongoing. And the Labor Department is opening about 100 new cases every week. Wow, it sounds like the Keystone Cops here. And what programs account for most of the fraud at the hearing? What came out? The programs that are leading to the most uh, fraud, waste and abuse here are the programs you've probably heard the most about. That includes SBA's Paycheck Protection Program, its Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, or EIDL, as well as the Unemployment Insurance Program that is overseen by the federal government but implemented by the states. And so Horowitz said that all of those programs are highly susceptible to fraud. The problem there was the desire to simply get the money out as quickly as possible without taking not an unreasonable amount of time, but an appropriate amount of time to make sure that they were sending the money to the right people. That was the problem, among others, with those two programs. Right. The agencies were told, speed, 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 get the money out. I mean, that was congressional orders, pretty much, and both administrations that oversaw this type of spending said to get it out quickly. So how did agencies balance the speed of payment over checking for fraud? Were there any checks in place? Well, that is part of the concern from these pandemic watchdogs that we heard from. Speed, of course, was that overriding priority. The the money just needed to get out as quickly as possible in 2020, especially But Horowitz said that there were just some basic things that weren't being done here. Case in point, SBA had issued 57,000 loans worth $3.6 billion to entities that were already on the Treasury Department's do not pay list. And this didn't really require any further checks on their part. But the way that Horowitz says they just didn't bother to check that list. We've heard over and over again at the time well, we needed to get the money out right away. There was an emergency. No dispute about that. We needed to get the money out right away. There was an emergency. You need to be ready for that. This list was sitting there. This was not, 
anything that would have taken much time. There needs to be preparation. Yeah, somebody didn't open the file folder with that list in it before they started sending money out. So now these watchdogs appeared before Congress, as you've reported. And what are they asking for now? Well, one of the things they're asking for is that Congress doesn't make the same mistake that they made. One of the things that the PRAC, the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, is asking Congress for now is that they don't make the same mistake that they made back in 2008 in the aftermath there of the Great Recession. This predecessor board, the Recovery, Accountability, and Transparency Board, had this really great, robust set of data and analytics tools. It's Recovery Operations Center. But that went away when that board went away in 2015. And so what the PRAC is asking for here is that its own data and analytics platform, the Pandemic Analytics Center of Excellence, finds a home beyond its statutory sunset date. And there are a couple of takers, the Government-wide counsel, SIGI, would be one likely candidate there. But that's something that Congress would need to intervene in and and find a statutory language, some vehicle to pass that would make that the case here. And we did hear from Comptroller General Gene Dodaro saying that this would be a really good idea. And if you had this permanent capability, it would not only deal with regular fraud, but it would be ready and there when emergencies occur and you won't have waste time standing up. Every day wasted is another day susceptible to fraud and improper payments. And of course, fraud has been a problem with federal programs way before the pandemic, way before the recession of 2008. And so did these come up, the fact that there's just this ongoing problem with these massive programs for decades? It definitely came up. And this type of issue of it doesn't get a lot of attention the idea of fraud, waste, and abuse until these big, high-profile things bubble up to the surface. And there were just some things that were supposed to be done that just weren't being done. Case in point, Congress had passed the Fraud Reduction and Data Analytics Act in 2016. It would have required agencies to implement GAO's fraud risk fraud risk framework. It would have required OMB to stand up a working group on this issue. And from GAO's telling, these things just weren't done. They weren't a priority, and OMB never really convened that working group. One other issue here is just with the PRAC doing the best it could. It stood up 30 days out from the CARES Act being passed, its own pandemic website where you could track the spending. But on the back end of that, the watchdogs just weren't getting good, timely data from the agencies. Horowitz says that It was going back and forth with the SBA in early stages of 2020 and just not getting that data until, you know, the soonest was really October of 2020. Right. To paraphrase Mark Twain, fraud gets halfway around the world before oversight gets its boots on, you might say. And by the way, Jory, you were watching this hearing. What was the reaction of Congress that appropriated all these trillions in the first place? You know, it really does get back to that tricky balance between speed and urgency of getting this money out the door versus, you know, this time and place now where it's a little more appropriate to look at the fraud side of things. You know, obviously, every dollar that goes out to fraudsters is a dollar that doesn't get to the people who these programs were built up for in the first place. And so there was definitely some bipartisan concern there. All right. Well, I have a suggestion for them. They should rename that PACE, the Pandemic Analytics Center of Excellence, to the Ed PACE, the Earl Devaney Pandemic Analytics Center of Excellence, to honor the watchdog over the pandem- over the recovery funds back in the late 2000s, the late Earl Devaney, probably spinning in his grave. But 
no resolution, just uh, Congress hearing at this point, no legislation pending that we know of. Well, you know, we did hear from some members of the committee say that they would introduce legislation to some effect to uh, you know, implement the recommendations that were brought up before the committee. Uh, and we did hear from committee chairman James Comer say that this is just the first of a series of hearings that we'll hear on this issue. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know often when he'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he 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 faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, 
you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Triver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn.
from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.